Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, if uh, you and I have not had a chance of meeting, um, I, I apologize. I would love that opportunity. My name's Chad. I have uh, the privilege of being the, uh, the lead pastor here at DBC. I've been here for a while, and you actually may be here for the first time, and you're jumping into week three of a series called Strapped, where we're talking about managing God's money God's way. Now, one of the things that, that we believe and we're, we're coming to a better understanding of is when we tend to manage God's money our way, we feel more strapped because all of us to some degree have, have been told these things about this thing called the American dream. And you may call it something else, but part of the American dream that all of us, maybe you push back and say, no, no, that's not, that's not how I live my life. But even if you would push back and say, that's not my life, you see that it is evident in others' lives. So this will mean a lot to you. The American dream, the thing that's kind of the, the message that is spoken to generations is that what you have to do to be successful, to, have the, to, to be content in your life, the thing that is the most important for you is to go to a good college after high school. After you go to a good college, make sure that you go out and that you buy a nice car then you buy a nice home and the perfect, quote unquote, part of the American dream is that you'd have two kids and you'd have the white picket fence and all of that. And oftentimes that's not our reality because it's not actually God's dream for us. Some of us have believed that that was the American dream is the dream for us. And that's the way that we're going to be the most content is if we have things and we get that education Maybe we have those experiences. Maybe we go on, on that vacation. If we stockpile this amount of money for this amount of time, then we will be content. That's just not what the Bible teaches. As a matter of fact, if you start to believe the American dream, or maybe you're like me, where I believe the American dream for years. Maybe if you've leaned into the American dream where you've kind of bought into that lie, I, I bet right now you feel strapped. You feel restrained, restrained from God's best. Even, it doesn't really matter where you are in, in the, the strata of, of spiritual knowledge and truth. I do want you to know this. John 10.10 10 says this about every Christian, that Jesus Christ promises abundant life. We cannot experience the abundant life that Jesus offers if we're strapped financially. So what this whole series is about is breaking free from that financial bondage, breaking free because we believe that when we break free, it changes everything. And honestly, it changes everyone that's around us, not just everything, but everyone that's around us. But as you open your Bible up to Proverbs 22, that's where we're going to be today. I want to introduce this, this idea, this topic for today with the story. Back in 1986, I was 12 years old. Yes, that does give away my age. Um, I, I was 12 in 1986, and maybe my story is somewhat like yours. Um, my story, when I was a child, it had a lot of tragedy, quite honestly, and part of this is, is woven in my story that I'm about to tell right now. Um, my, my parents divorced when I was four, so I was raised, but the primary caregiver was my dad, which meant that my mom had some temporary 
rights to see us, and we would go live with her during the summers. So it made my baseball career really uh, up in the air and kind of destroyed all those hopes and dreams about playing baseball because that typically happens during the summer. But in the midst of that, I would go to different places wherever my stepfather was stationed at the time he was in the Navy. So in 1986, he was stationed in Norfolk, Virginia. If you've ever gone to Norfolk, Virginia, you know there's only a couple things in Norfolk, military people and boats. So if you're not really into those things, there's not a whole lot there in Norfolk, Virginia for you. So uh, we were in Norfolk, Virginia, and my mom, um, because she wasn't going to have, uh, she wasn't going to be around me for my birthday, she was like, I want to come up with like a really cool birthday gift for you that, that she would give me early during the summer. So she is going through the newspaper, and she's flipping through and flipping through, and she sees this ad. And it's like a reduced rate for two weeks of Chuck Norris karate training. That's pretty sweet, right? By the way, everything you've heard about Chuck Norris is true. It's true. He's the only person who can lead a horse to water and make him drink. I'm told. I don't know. But so I, you got a little bit late. Thank you. Um, So I was 12, and my mom says, hey, I've got this gift for your birthday. It's two weeks Chuck Norris karate training. I'm like, sign me up. I was 12. I had an older brother, and quite honestly, I just thought if I could learn some skills, I'd be able to whoop my older brother. Kind of true story. It's like he was just just destroying me, and I was like, well, if I learn a couple skills, I'll be able to defend myself against my older brother. So I was pretty stoked about the, about the whole prospect of going. So I go into this two weeks Chuck Norris karate training. I'm trying to say Chuck Norris as much as I can. It's called street cred. And uh, so I go into this two weeks Chuck Norris karate training, brainwashing you too. And in the midst of this, it was, it was awesome. I didn't learn much of anything. But what was awesome about it is I would go through, and I was just really overwhelmed. They did give me a gi. By the way, that's the white thing that they allow you to wear in karate. So you're learning something else today. It's awesome for you. You're going to learn something else here in a minute. And, and so they gave me a gi and, and a white belt. Now, I had to borrow them. I had to give them right back when the two weeks were over. But I got to wear this. It was actually, I looked legit. And in the midst of this, they were showing us the different forms about all of the other colored belts. So, so I started to learn, wow, that's like a white belt and there's a yellow belt and a red belt and a brown belt. And I think there was a purple belt and there's a like black belt. I already knew about black belt stuff. Cause like growing up as a kid, like Chuck Norris and like all of that craziness as a kid, I was overwhelmed with. So I was like, wow, this is like incredible. And I, I would look at, at all these people and I had a, a little dinky white belt, but I, I went in there. I was 12. I was like, man, I'm going to learn some skills. I may end up, end up showing somebody something, you know, I get in here and mix it up a little bit, but I absolutely got overwhelmed because I looked as my little puny white belt. And I would look at, at these, these brown belts, black belts, all these other people have been doing it a lot longer than me. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I knew that they were on a whole other level as me. So as much as I thought I had it figured out when I got in there, and I was like, I'm going to learn a couple of skills. My older brother's name's Joe. I'm like, I'm going to take Joe down. Like, this is just going to happen. I went in there and got overwhelmed and realized, whoa, 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 I was kind of in over my head. You're going to be challenged in the midst of this talk. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be challenged by this content. And at, at some point, I know why. Because when you feel the, the effects of past choices... You may desire to go all MMA, that's mixed martial arts, second thing you've learned so far. You, you may desire to go all MMA with this content and be like, nah, that ain't for me, that's for somebody else. And yeah, that could be true of someone, but that ain't true of me, but it's going to be true of you. But understand this, oftentimes we have a white belt of understanding, that's beginner, and the Bible is like a ninth degree 
black belt in truth. And we will lose that fight every time. So some degree, you're going to be like, man, let's mix it up. I just don't think this is right. But I believe at the end of this talk, you're going to sit back and say, you know, whoa, I, I think this is true. And it might be true of me, certainly maybe now, but definitely a point in your life. Proverbs 22, verse 7. Let's go there. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a servant, maybe Your translation says slave, the borrower is a slave or servant to the lender. So you may be thinking, well, what what does that have to do with me? I'll I'll maybe help you to understand that. A couple years ago, tornado went through our house, took down 18 trees, gave me an opportunity to cut wood. I like cutting wood, actually. One thing um, that became a big problem is I didn't have an axe. So uh, I had all of these trees and all these logs, and it was an absolute mess. So I went to a friend of mine who lives a half mile away from us, and I was like, hey, can I borrow an axe? And he's like, yeah, no problem. So he started to go through and tell me about this axe. He said, all right, this axe is, is a special axe. He's like, I don't mind you using it. It's fine. Just borrow it. No big deal. Take this axe. He's like, all I ask is when you bring it back, sharpen it up a little bit. Just take a file over the edge of it, sharpen it up. Just bring it back to me. No problem. I was like, of course I can do that. No sweat. So I take it. I take the axe. I start working the logs. I get about half a day in. Tink. The head of the axe goes, rolls away. So I'm sitting here looking at this axe handle. The one that I borrowed. He started to tell me beforehand. He was like, yeah, the thing that's important about that, 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 Axe is the handle. It's a special kind of handle. You can't just get this anywhere. He actually got it from like way up north. And he's like, this is a special type of handle. And yet, whenever I was cutting the wood and I saw the axe handle fall off, I knew there was not much that was actually that special about the handle. It was just especially broke in my hand. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness. He gave me this whole lecture about every time that he, that he lends out an axe to someone else, that it always comes back broke and they always bust the handles. And he, this was just like this most special prized possession of his in his life. And he just, you know, it's almost like he couldn't view his life without having this, this complete axe and handle. And yet I'm looking at, at not one piece to give him, but two pieces to give him. And, and I was like, well, I've got to bring this back, but I didn't know which way to do it. So I have to tell you, it was the longest half mile from my door to his door because the, the borrower is a slave to the lender. Because as I was going there and I was like, hey, I got some bad news. Here's the thing you're going to be able to use. And I'm not so sure about this side of it. And, and he's like, he looks at me. And although it was incredibly hard for me to go from my door to his door, and I was thinking, oh my goodness, like he just gave me this whole lecture about axe handles, and he's like so much older and wiser than I am when it comes to the ways of tools and all this. I'm like, great, I'm that guy now, right? Like I didn't even want to go. I wanted to just kind of be like, yeah, I forgot it, and throw it in the back shed, but I didn't. So I go take the long trek from my door to his door, and I go there and I stand before him, and I'm like, hey, I was using this just like you told me to. I got about it half of it cut but I broke it and he looks at me so gracious and he's like no problem 
And I was like, no problem. Like I had this whole thing conspired in my mind. Like it was like, it was like the biggest thing of all time because the borrower is a slave to the lender. Because I felt this deep connection to this thing because it was connected to him. Because he lended it to me and I knew that I had to take such good care of it and then give it back to him in a better condition than what I received it. Because the borrower is always a slave to the lender. As, as a, a child, you would know this too. Maybe you were like me where you just love candy. And you go to, to, the, to the candy store, whatever that place was for you. And you go there with all your friends and they've got money and you don't. Well, the more candy you see them stockpiling, the more candy you want, but you don't have any money, so it creates a problem. So you look at your friend and you're like, hey, can I borrow 50 cents? Can I borrow a dollar? And they say, yeah, sure. And then you take the money, you buy whatever candy that you wanted, and then after you eat it, you feel this, this connection, you feel indebted to you, to your friend, this I mean, this is just like little kids, right? But you feel this connection and then you're like, I just cannot wait to have the money to pay that debt off. Do you know the reason why? Because the borrower is a slave to the lender or a servant to the lender. As a teenager, did you ever borrow your dad's car? Anyone? Ever, anyone? Raise your hand if you ever borrowed your dad's car. Yeah. We got a few of us that are honest and some others who are just afraid to raise their hand. Of course, you borrow dad's car. And after dad goes through and he gives you this, this rant and tirade about how you need to manage the car and you don't need to speed in the car, make sure you have your seatbelt on. Who are you going to be with? Oh, don't be, no, you ain't hanging out with him in my car. And then they give you, say, no, no, I'm going to be with him in my car. Make sure you're doing what you ought to do. Make sure you're not doing what you ought not to do. Here's where, where you're going to be. Where are you going to be there? When you're going to be home? Take care of my car, right? That was like, that was the story that I heard, maybe the story that, that you've heard. And yet, as, as a teenager, you're like, man, I just want wheels. I just want some freedom. I just want to get out. I just don't want to be, I don't want to be constrained to this house. Just give me four wheels and a, you know, four wheels and a steering wheel. Let me get out of this thing. And yet, your, your dad goes through with this rant and tirade. Maybe your mom goes through with this rant and tirade about all these things and all these things. And you're like, oh, my goodness. And, and then you're just like, you feel the burden because you think if you actually bring the car back damaged, and even in, when you're in the car, you're being so careful with it because you think if you bring it back damaged you might be disowned or even worse you have to walk to school right see we confirm this in so many areas of our life that the borrower is a slave to the lender in 1984 we bought our first brand new car brand new it was a 1994 chevy cavalier and it was teal i know it was the 90s so that was a color back then and so we bought this car. Let me just explain this car to you. It was the only car we could afford. It was a brand new car, though. It had like 30-some thousand miles on it. Excuse me, 30-some miles on it. It was that kind of new, kind of brand new, kind of brand spanking new, kind of smelled new, new, that kind. Got that picture, right? So that was what this car was. This car, let me just tell you a little bit more about it. We, we needed a, a car at the time. And we, we couldn't afford this car, so we thought, well, wow, how can we get a new car but, and yet still be able to, quote-unquote, afford it? So this car had no radio. No radio. Who buys a car with no radio? This guy. Bought a car with no radio. Armstrong windows. No frills, baby. I mean, that's Armstrong. Old school, hand crank. Can't even probably buy a car like that anymore. Y'all know what I'm talking about. 
car was a four-cylinder, five-speed. Couldn't even afford an automatic transmission, right? But we went up. I was in the Navy at the time. Went up my fresh, my fresh Navy haircut. Went up there with sucker written conveniently across my forehead to the dealership. And I'm strutting up there. I'm like, we're going to get us a new car today. And he looked at me and he was like, wow, look at Gullible. Sure, he's going to buy a new car. Yeah, we can finance it. No, you don't need any money down. Yes, you can drive it home today. Awesome. Good plan. So he saw me, saw Sucker. We eventually drove out of there with a brand new car. He couldn't afford it. I mean, we were, we were so poor, we couldn't even afford the R. We were just po. I mean, that's, that's where we were. Like, we really, we were broke. And, and so, so now we got this, this new car, and I looked around, my brother and all his friends, they put five-spoke rims on their car, and that was a thing back in the day, and it was not like the rims you see today. And, and yet, I, I wanted those rims. I, I just had to have those rims. I looked at my brother's rims. They were aluminum alloy. Couldn't afford those. I was paying with credit, by the way. Couldn't afford those. So I was like, wow, yeah, I'm not going to be able to buy those, but what I'm going to buy is a steel alloy. Now, the problem with steel alloy is this. It corrodes. It absolutely hates brake dust. Did I mention they were rims? So now I, I'm feeling the weight of this decision. I'm like, wow, I, we just made this huge financial decision. I just bought a car that I cannot afford. We're struggling to make payments on, like eating ramen noodles, pay for this car, paying for this car, which they conveniently let me pay over five years. That was before they did six years. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm doing better than that. I got six years conveniently paid over five years, get trapped in this car. Now I put rims on this car. I'm making, I'm making interest payments and making just trying to pay off rims on the car and trying to pay off the car all because that's what successful looked like. That's what successful looked like, but you got to have a new car. I looked around and I saw other people with rims. I was like, I got to have some rims. Everybody's got rims. I mean, it's a brand new car, but I got to have rims. Eventually put in a radio, by the way. So we go through all of this, but, but I have to tell you, I felt this deep connection, a weird connection to that car and to those rims because then even on every day off that I had, I felt like I had to go out there and wash that thing up. You know, like Mr. Miyagi and Daniel-san, wax on, wax off. It was like non-stop. Always got to go wash that car. It's my day off. I got to go wipe this thing off because I felt so connected to that car and to those stinking rims because the borrower is a slave to the lender. Because I felt this, this weird connection to this stuff that I could not afford that I was going to pay off over the large span of years. The borrower is a slave to the lender. Now, what you're not going to hear in this talk is this. You're not going to hear, well, there's, there's, certain thing, there's certain kinds of good debt. Now, I, I just you can squabble over that if you want. But what I want us to dig into is the fact that the rich rule over the poor. And that the borrower is a slave to the lender. You see, that means it's not your opinion. It may be from some of your experience, but that's not your opinion or mine. This is God's truth, and this is God's best for all mankind. That's one of the things I really love specifically about this book of the Bible. This one, you look at it, and it's just like a bunch of timeless uh, life principles and just wisdom that God just says, boom, here you go. And many of it, even if you're not a Christian this morning, many times we, we can look in, in particular in the book of Proverbs and say, of course, yes, yeah, that's right. It's like no 
theological mumbo jumbo, you're like, yeah, of course. And that's what this passage is. So you may sit back and say, well, yeah, I just don't know if I agree with that, right? But you know what? You feel that, don't you? If you're indebted to anyone, you're already feeling it. You're probably already questioning, well, should I have bought that car? I don't know. What about that house? I don't know. What about those clothes? I don't know. Because the borrower is a slave to the lender. You see, that's timeless and true. One of the things that I saw in this as well is some of the community effects of this truth that the borrower is a slave to the, to the lender and the rich rule over the poor. Anybody remember the, uh, the housing collapse of 2008, which then actually bottomed out in 2012? You see, we learned, we, all of us learned in that situation that, that the rich rule over the poor because those who were rich before the housing collapse continued to get rich and those who couldn't afford homes that the lenders should not have lended them homes. But as soon as they received those homes, the rich people continued to get rich and the poor people who couldn't afford homes, many lives were financially destroyed. You know why? Because the borrower is a slave to the lender. So as soon as they were, they were, uh, they were given the opportunity to have these homes that they could not afford, Eventually, the bubble burst, didn't it? Some of you felt that. Maybe some of you lost a home in that. Maybe one of your kids lost a home in that. And you know that to be true, that the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Some other family effects of this, this relationship between borrower and lender is is not just on the, the community level, but also the family level. Some things I found is one of the, one of the problems, if you will, the, the, the restraints that comes with financial bondage and financial burdens is the inability for, for parents to really open up to their kids. One of the, the things, it's, it's for a spouse to be able to open up to their spouse because they're, they're constantly thinking about this money. They got, I got to pay this, this money off. I got to pay this money off. I've got this debt. I've got to work harder to pay this debt. And all the while you're losing not only days and months, but years years of your life consumed with consumption and debt. And it's just devastating families. One of the greatest causes of divorce is financial issues still. So this distance relationally also, just the stress of trying to maintain everything. Like you, you get in this, financial, in this financial situation and then you're stressed like how in the world am I going to get through it? So that stress is leading to other health problems. That the stress of, of being uh, financially bound it leads many folks to overeat, trying to numb the pain. Abusive relationships, abusive substances. And eventually, once those things don't work, it can lead to hopelessness and even depression. All because what I'm telling you today, that the borrower is a slave to the lender. Because when you're in it, it not only just affects you, it's not just your decision, parents. It affects everyone in your home. It even affects the legacy that you can leave to your kids. 
So we see the, the communal level, we see the family level, but also on the soul level. Speak to the Christians just for a couple moments. In the New Testament, the, the word to describe a, a follower of Christ is, is the word slave or servant. It's a completely different word than this, uh, than, than the one that's used right here in Proverbs 22, verse 7. The, the, the reference point in uh, the New Testament, when it talks about this, this relationship, is rooted in this. 1 Peter 2, 5 and 6 says this. I'm going to go through it fast. Maybe you want to write this down for future reference. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. He gave himself as a ransom for all men. You see, if you're a follower of Christ, listen to me, listen to me. If you're a follower of Christ, we're not to be lovers of of God and men. That's impossible. We learned that last week. We just can't love both, rather, we just can't love both God and money. That's what we learned last week. You just can't. It's impossible. You're either going to fully love the one and be devoted to it or the other. There is no middle ground. So when we are introduced with this text that the borrower is a slave to the lender, that means that there's going to be another little tug, Christians, on your affections that you cannot afford. That means there's just going to be this this overlying burden that's going to basically restrain you and hold you back from God's best for you. You see, God's best for us is living in the reality of what I just told you, Christian. For there is one God and one mediator between man and the Father. And that's the man, Christ Jesus, who was a ransom for us. That means that his death paid the penalty of the cost for our sin. It isn't that we're indebted to Christ, like, well, we're indebted to Christ. That's not what, when it talks about this ransom in the, in the, the servant-slave relationship in the New Testament, that's not what this is meaning. It means you're, you're connected to, that you're connected to. You're connected to Christ, Christians. You're connected to Christ. You're, you're so connected because he paid your ransom. Not that you have to try and earn back or buy back your salvation, but you live in the light of that salvation. Because Jesus was the mediator between God, the Father, and man. And Jesus Christ paid the ransom for sins so that we could be in a right relationship with the Father once again. So, in light of that, I want to give you this kind of summary statement of sorts. Every person who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus has to run their daily lives, their ministry plans, their life goals, and their spending habits through the sieve of Jesus' lordship. I know there's a lot there, but I want to break it down for you. First, I want to say this. When it comes to somebody being a follower of Christ, oftentimes we just, we celebrate Jesus being our Savior, but we push back on Jesus being our Lord because it becomes so, like, even artificially satisfying. Oh, Jesus is my Savior. Now he saved me from my sins. Now I get to go live life on my terms. I would say this, if that is your reality, you have no salvation. You're trusting in your own freedom your own autonomy, and there is no salvation in that. 
You're trying to be your own salvation, which is no salvation. See, when you give your life to Jesus, understanding that he is a ransom, he was the ransom for your sins, that he died on your behalf, on my behalf, when you do so, you not only accept the saving work of Jesus, you also get this, church, you accept the lordship of Jesus. That means that you just turn the keys of your life over to him, and in doing so, that means every person who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus has to run their daily lives. Decisions that you make, should I go here? should I go there? What dreams should I chase? Should I go on this vacation? Should I save for this trip? What should I do? Running their daily lives, their ministry plans. Some of you have great ministry plans. Maybe you're a little bit farther in your walk. Listen to me. You may be a little bit farther in your walk and you're like, you know what? I just can't wait to do this for God. Maybe that's your dream and not God's dream. I don't know. That too needs to be surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus because you could be doing all this, this mission work for your benefit and not the glory of God. Run even your ministry plans through him, your life goals. What is it that I want to do? Am I just chasing the American dream to some degree or am I chasing God's dream? That God's dream for you is abundant life. It's, it's, it's a main trunk with a, a bunch of branches and it's awesome and it flourishes and it causes you to grow. And lastly, your spending habits through the sieve of Jesus' lordship. What am I spending money on? What am I spending money on? Does this have any value in eternity? And wrestle with this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, because I know that some of you, just like I, have made some decisions that are not so wise financially. And yet some of you are maybe getting ready to make a decision. Each of you as a family hopefully received one of these cards. I apologize if you didn't get them. I know that we kind of ran out. We had a full, full house this morning and, and, and a crowd today, so we may have run out of these. But if you receive them, I, I want you to pull that out real quick. I'm going to go through them quick. If you didn't receive one, this would be a good thing for you to write down. This would be a great thing, parents, for you to pass on to your kids. You want to talk about a legacy, a legacy of generosity, a legacy of contentment? Here's a really good way to start. I just call this the 10 debt commandments. First one, God favors lending over borrowing because it promotes freedom and wise stewardship. God favors lending over borrowing because lending means that you're actually going to make more money on your return. If you're borrowing, that means you're actually going to pay more and get less. Just not good stewardship. Second, borrowing can put people in a position of servitude because the borrower is a slave or a servant to the lender. Third, avoid credit whenever possible and use it wisely when necessary. Use it wisely when necessary. There are people who, uh, main kind of financial figures in the Christian realm right now, one guy by the name of Randy Elkhorn, there's another individual by the name of Dave Ramsey. Both of them have great work. Both of them, you could just kind of go headlong into, into this topic so much more. I'm just touching the surface on it. But if you're interested and you're kind of like, I want to know more about this, I would definitely send you in one of those two directions. But this actually is an area they disagree on. Right here. So... Um, both of them wise, both of them have good reasons for the positions they take. I'll allow you to dig into that. Fourth, keep all borrowing to a minimum. Keep all borrowing 
to a minimum because the borrower is a slave to the lender and it's going to just have this, this restlessness for your affections. Fifth one, credit reduces our ability to give God, to give to God and to those in need because you end up paying more and getting less. You have, it's just not good stewardship. So you pay more in interest. You have less money to, to give to the Lord or to the good works of the Lord. Sixth, don't get into debt today based on a future event. This is fairly common, and this is what I mean. Sometimes people, they know that a tax return's coming, or they just believe that they're going to get a bonus at this certain time of year, but yet they just can't wait for that bonus to come. So three months before that, they're like, you know what, I, I, we're going to get a tax return this year, no big deal. So they'll go out and they'll actually borrow some money, maybe on some credit card or do something like that, get a line of credit. And what they're doing is they're trying to use this money now instead of waiting for when that money could come in. But more times than not, that first bit of money is spent. And then when you get that second check, you're like, well, what else can we buy? Instead of paying off the original debt. So you get in double the debt because you made one bad decision because you spent that money before it actually came in. I know it just, it honestly just makes sense. Think through your life. Maybe this has happened to you. Maybe it has not. Seventh, ask yourself how long it will take to pay off the debt. This is one of the sobering realities when it comes to debt, debt crisis and debt management. Actually realize, get in touch with how long is it going to be to take this and pay this debt off? Because when you look at a credit card and you're like, if I pay the minimum credit, the, the minimum payment, minimum payment, minimum payment, I'm going to string this $500 out over 10 years. That's just dumb, right? And yet the borrower is a slave to the lender. Don't you dare miss a payment or two. Another one. Avoid making, this is number eight, avoid making a long-term financial decision off a short-term frustration. Oftentimes, this is what happens when it comes to purchasing a car, specifically. This is what happens. Your car is maybe older. You paid it off a long time ago. You celebrated. You got the title in your hand. You put that away in, in your little storage place. But then that, that old jalopy is like, it's older. It's got a couple years in it. You know, you kind of ran into the ground, maybe missed some oil changes. And now it starts nickel and dime you where it's $100 here, $200 here, $100 here, $200 there. And then you're put at a crisis moment, aren't you? Because you're like, after all, the lie that we tell ourselves is it, the car has to be reliable, right? Got to be reliable. It isn't like you're driving cross-country very often. Call reliable what it is. But yet we tell ourselves this story, oh, it's got to be reliable. So we go out and then we, we start to store up all of these debts and, and, or rather the cost of the car. And we're like, wow, it, man, this car is costing like $100 a month. So then we start playing this game in our mind. Well, all right, so here's what I'll do. It costs me $100 a month, but it's not reliable. So I bet I can go to the dealership and I bet I can go get a brand new car that's going to be reliable and the payment is just going to be a little bit more than what I'm paying out for your monthly cost. These are things that we tell ourselves, ways to justify bad decisions. That's all that is. And we create this false emergency kind of mentality. Like, well, the car has to be reliable. Seriously, bro, you drive like three miles. Like, come on. You know, you're not driving to California tomorrow. Think about that. We have to be honest with ourselves. Ninth, don't finance daily needs, living expenses. Like that part's easy, right? Nobody in here is going to just like 
willingly go out and finance on a credit card milk, right? Like you're probably not going to do that. Like I need some milk. I don't know. Here's the card. I mean, you're not going to do that. So you may push back on that a little bit quickly, but I missed two words at the end that are, I think, the ones you have to wrestle with the most. Don't finance daily needs, living expenses, or pleasure items. Because once you taste that pleasure and you pay for it on credit, you get a desire for more. And after all, you're not paying for it anyway. So you start to build up lines and masses of credit from bad decisions. These are from me. A lot of these have direct scriptural references. You can take them or leave them. Number 10 is if you can wait for it, then wait. If you can wait for it, then wait. If you can wait for it, then wait. Which leads me into three questions. All of these connect with number 10. First question is this. When it comes to to ask before borrowing, because the borrower is always the slave to the lender. Do I really need it? Do I really need it? Or I'll put it a different way. Is this a need or is this just greed? Is this a need or just greed? Do I really need it? It's a good question. Speaks into everything. Do I really need it? Second one, all of these piggyback one off the other. Have I asked God for it and waited long enough for him to supply? Have I asked God for it and waited long enough for him to supply? I think one of the reasons why we don't see the power of God in our lives is because maybe we ask him once and we're like, well, he said, no, I'll just go do it myself. Well, God, I I ask you for me to be financially free and you didn't send that Publishers Clearinghouse checked to my door, so apparently you're not in it. I'm just going to go do what I want to do. Maybe because we haven't waited long enough. Maybe it's the process. Maybe you learned some things in the process. Maybe it's not just about the destination. Maybe it's about the journey to financial freedom. Maybe that's what you need to learn and experience. And the last one, am I impatient in seeking instant gratification? Is this just about making me feel good right now? Man, I, just, I feel good. I just buy things. I just feel good. I get that, that new car smell. I just can't get enough. Go buy an air freshener. Like, if that's your deal, go buy an air freshener for real. But that's kind of what we do. So, am I impatient in seeking instant or immediate gratification? You see, if we don't wait long enough for God to provide it, we're going to think that we have to meet our own need. And we miss the abundant life. We miss the promises of God. We miss the power of God in our lives, Christians. So because I know this is sensitive with many of you, I want to give you two verses. Um, Particularly, they'll be on the screen. You can write them down. I want to give you two verses. And if you are just like in your head, in over your head with debt, and by the way, by, by national average, you probably are. Let me give you a few statistics before I go into these two verses. Average household credit card debt in America is $16,000. The average mortgage in America right now is $172,000. The average in student loan debt is $49,000 right now. And the average, I can't read my own writing, and... The average, there it is, and the average in auto loans right now is $28,000 in America. Now, I'm not, I'm not so blind to think that some of us aren't in those categories. 
So if you're in debt, my advice to you is be gazelle-like. This I borrowed from Dave Ramsey. He's the financial guy. I'm the preacher. Proverbs 6, 4 says this. When it comes to being debt and getting out of it, this would be a good bit of application. Don't put it off. Do it now. Don't rest until you do. Well, I'm in debt. What am I supposed to do? Oh, I got it. I, I, go get the help you need. Go online. Financial Peace University. Dave Ramsey's books. Randy Alcorn's books. The help is there. Just a couple clicks away. Everything you need. Everything you need. So many free debt planners. Free. Not just like cheap. Free. So many. You want help? You're in debt? You want to get out of debt? Don't put it off. Do it now. Don't rest till you do. You may say, well, well, Pastor, what, what's the application for today? I don't know. I just don't understand. I got it. Don't put it off. Do it now. Don't rest till you do. Another verse. Next one. Proverbs 6, 5 says this. Save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter, like a bird fleeing from a net. Next, I want to show you a picture of a cheetah and a gazelle. Now, they're cooking right there. They're going fast. As a matter of fact, cheetah, fastest land animal, zero to 70 and faster than I'm sure every one of our cars, really fast. You may look at this picture and be like, it's just a matter of time. That gazelle's going down. And sometimes they do. You may look at that picture and be like, that gazelle doesn't have a, it didn't even have a chance. I mean, it's a cheetah. I mean, seriously. Like, it doesn't have a chance. But you see, what the gazelle knows is the cheetah's weakness. You see, the gazelle knows that if I run in a straight line, the cheetah, boom, is going to catch me every time. No problem. Going to catch me. The gazelle knows, ah, to beat the cheetah, I can't just run in a straight line. I have to run in circles. I have to jump up and down. I have to bob and weave. I have to, I have to do things erratically. I have to just run, run in circles. And eventually the cheetah will just stop and just get worn out and be like, you know what? I'll go find another sucker. That's what the cheetah does with the gazelle. So now... You have this understanding. I'll read again. Verse 5. Save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter. Like a bird freeing from a net. So how am I supposed to get out of it? Be like a gazelle. Save yourself. Verse 4. Said. Don't put it off. Do it now. Don't rest till you do. Don't put it off. Do it now. Don't rest till you do. How, how do. how am I supposed to get out of debt? Well, A, don't create more. There you go. And seek the help you need. Don't put it off. Do it now. Don't rest till you do. Be like a gazelle. See, it, maybe you're one of the fortunate ones. Maybe you've been the person who's actually paid off a little debt. And you finally got that, that title in the mail. Or maybe, you're, you know, the mortgage is complete. I mean, if that's your story, praise God, that's awesome. And you're like, you're done with that. And you're like, I've got it. I got the paperwork. This is mine. That's awesome. And, and you know, when you get that piece of paper and you get done paying off that debt, it's just kind of like that, that 400-pound gorilla just kind of like, oh. You feel like you can just live again. You feel like you can breathe without being restrained anymore. See, that's what happens when you, you take the gazelle principle. When, that's what happens when you, you free yourself like 
the gazelle. That's what happens when you don't put it off, that you do it now and you don't rest till you do. See, it's the quicker you get to that place where you can just kind of, oh man, I get to go breathe. Automatically, you, you, have, you have places where you want your finances to go. You have some good you want to do in the world because you've decided that you're going to be like a gazelle because you know to be true that the borrower is always, always, always a slave to the lender. Let's be free together.